The George Wilder Jr. Show is now on the air.
This is Chicago's finest internet radio show, making a world a better place, one show at a time. The George Water Jr. Show is now on the air. Take it away, Dad. All right, thanks everybody for tuning in to the George Water Jr. Show on Block Talk Radio, internet radio. That's to be heard anywhere in the world. Thanks, thanks for that. Thanks. I know that's in your heart. <laughs> Really, really in your heart. It's a great day in the city of Chicago. Sun is shining. It's a, a little bit cooler. However, still a beautiful day. And I want everybody to be positive. Uh, think positive. Uh, no time to be depressed and, you know, out of it. And this, Thank you, lucky stars, that you woke up this morning to a beautiful, beautiful day. Wherever you are in the world, this is the George Wilder Jr. Show. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for all you do to make this show uh as good as as it is you know and uh thanks for that all righty let's see we're doing something right here so <laughs> okay we're trying to get something together here okay all righty author uh brian ruff on the george wilder jr show and it's great it's great to be alive folks i feel good i feel really really good and i want you to feel good too okay and there's no time to be depressed Smile, be positive, think good thoughts, think great things about the future, things will get better. Just uh, uh, be positive, you know, and, uh, you know, drink a lot of water. (laughs) Yeah, I say drink water because one of the things about drinking water is it makes you feel good. It makes you feel good. Drinking water uh, makes you feel good. I mean, you don't get up or go to bed angry and or uh, 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 mad or pissed. Water, drinking water makes you smile, makes you see the uh, goodness in evil people. <laughs> uh, but you don't want to be, you don't want to be smiling like a chest tired cat, but you know, you know, you know what I'm saying. Just smile and feel positive and uh, drink a lot of water. It's good for you. Uh, it cleans you out, actually. Okay, uh, welcome to the George Wilder Jr. Show. I'm looking at something here. It says, Betsy DeVos says, school, she says, school safety commission won't look into uh, the role of guns in school shootings. Well, coming from a lady who actually wants to get rid of public schools, that's not surprising. Because as I said before, the majority of the people that Trump appoints to his cabinet or any post around the White House, and I and I understand there's a lot of posts that are unfilled, but the ones that are are filled, most of the people he appoint to any post, uh, to any agency uh, around the United States, their job is to cut and eliminate. Their jobs are not to make those programs, uh, those agencies, work. Their job is to dismantle those programs, cut cut them to the bone. You know, if it's a governmental program, that's their job. That's why he appointed them to. I mean, take take Ben Carson. He doesn't know jack what he's doing. And this lady Betsy DeVos, it's been proven over and over and over 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 and again by even uh, people in her own party that she doesn't know exactly what she's doing. But they will not remove her. They will not replace her because they want her to basically eliminate education as we know it today, especially public education. They don't want it. That's why she's there. 
she doesn't know jack she may be learning some things on the spot but that's not a that's not good enough she doesn't know anything her job is to destroy the public education as we know it and i do know that a lot of people are taking their kids out of public schools and some people are sending them to private schools some people are just uh deciding to homeschool their kids which i think is much better than public schools. I think if you homeschool your kids, your kids will get a well-rounded education because I do feel that the majority of public schools in, in the United States, they are not giving our children a good education. They are not doing it. Maybe once upon a time ago, but not now. I mean, you know, things, things have changed so much. Cuts have just decimated uh, the public schools in every facet cuts are uh, have decimated it. I mean, I've gone to some public schools because, you know, I've had kids in public schools. So I've gone up there and I've seen firsthand where the damage has been done to a lot of these schools. So I'm not, I'm talking about what I know. And I've met some teachers who agree with me that public education is on its way out. I mean, they're not going to say anything, uh, uh, too much around the school because they don't want to get fired. So many people are afraid to say anything because they're going to get fired. They're going to lose their job. But I sensed that in them as I was talking to them and as I was bringing up some of these important issues about public schools. I think public schools in some areas are some of the worst ever. I mean, they hire some of the some of the teachers that some of these public schools hire. They don't, they don't know as much as the students do. They may know a grade or two past the students that they're teaching. A lot of them are inexperienced. Uh, a lot of the public schools are cutting down. They're cutting back on this. They're cutting that. And so they go out and get cheap and inexperienced teachers to teach our kids who themselves just about know nothing. So uh, I do believe that public schools are on their way out and best proof of it. She is, she, she's such a stupid ass. She, she doesn't know what she's talking about. I mean, I've, I've sat and listened to her arguments and they just don't make sense. Uh, probably to her, but to no one else. Okay, she was testifying before the Senate Appropriations Subcommittee on Tuesday, Education Secretary Betsy DeVos said that the Federal Commission on School Safety, which is which she chairs, okay, will not look at the role of guns in a recent spat of school shootings. Now, that's dumb. I mean, you get all these kids going to public schools, but yet she will not try to keep them safe. Basically, that's what they're saying. I'm not going to try and keep them safe. They're not going to be safe. Uh, so why would you want to go to a school or send your kid to a school where the person who is the head of uh, uh, the educational department uh, in the United States says virtually send your kids to school. Uh, when you send your kid to a public school, you're virtually taking your own chances. Now, why would you want to keep your kid in school with, with someone like that? Wow, that was just awful. Okay, in exchange with Senator Pat Patrick Lacey, Democrat of Vermont, Ver, uh, uh, Duvall said it is not part of the commission's charge per se to look at the role of firearms as it relates to gun violence. It, well, basically, it's saying that she doesn't give a damn about gun violence in school. She's not going to try to protect your children 
uh, in school. So why would you want to keep your kids? In- this is the Secretary of Education saying this. If you, if you, I mean, if you mash your words up, this is virtually, basically, what she's saying. And if you don't believe me, I'm going to check out Huffington Post. It's right there. It's right there because uh, virtually she wants to get rid of public schools altogether with the blessing of her president, Donald Trump. This is why I say um, take you. I mean, if this should happen, I mean, uh, uh, take your kids out of public schools. That's the best thing you can do. And and. Um, if you can, private school costs a lot of money, and some people can't afford it. But the best thing that you can probably do uh, is to teach your kids yourself, educate your kids yourself, especially if you feel that you can do it. Well, there's a lot of parents out here, millions of parents, who don't have the skills or the education to educate their parents. I mean, to educate their kids, to teach your kids. They don't have a majority of the time. It's the kid teaching the parent. So a lot of parents don't have those skills to teach their kids. I understand that and I know that. And this is why a lot of parents will still continue to send their kids to public schools because they themselves cannot uh, uh, teach their kids because they don't have an education themselves. Well, that's a problem. That's a problem. All right, you've been listening to me, George Wilder Jr. on the George Wilder Jr. Show. It is 617 straight up when we're talking about dismantling of public schools. Okay, now when the Democrats take over in, in November, there may, be a, uh, uh, there may be a way to save the public schools. But as of now, there's no way to do it. I mean, Betty DeVos, she can be replaced. She's incompetent. She, she doesn't know what she's talking about. She doesn't have experience in in schools or education at all. And she's and every time she tries to visit a, a, a college or, or a public school, she's booed because she's always saying something negative about the schools and, and, and wanting to actually get rid of them, to get rid of them. I am so glad I don't have kids in public school anymore. I don't know any kids that, that are in public schools. It's an embarrassing. It, it's, an, it's an embarrassment because you, a lot of these public, public schools around the United States, they don't give the kids books anymore. Uh, most of the, some of the kids, they don't even have homework anymore. Kids get home from school, they go right outside and start playing instead of saying, hey, wow, you can't go outside until you finish your homework. But mom, I have no homework. What about reading? You have any, you, do you have any reading assignments? No, we don't have no reading assignments. Do you have history lessons anymore? History, what's slavery? We don't know. What about science projects? No, we don't have science science projects. Ah, but we're going on a field trip to the museum. That's what basically it is. You don't have books, son? No, we don't have books. So what do you have? No, we just copy stuff off the board and they give us printouts and we have to study. You don't have reading assignments? No, we don't have reading assignments. You don't have books? No, we don't have books. They don't give you homework? No, they don't give us homework anymore. Two plus two is not four anymore. It's something else. It's a long division problem to get the some of the answer. It's awful. It's awful. 
teachers are being arrested every day in some of these public schools for trying to sexually assault or sexually assaulting some of the students. That's bad. That's bad. Public education is, is just down the sewer with this administration. Down the sewer. You know, and if people don't vote, don't vote for changes in the upcoming midterms, it's going to be totally all over. And I think people know that. But as I've said, uh, public schools have, have sunk so low as, and she's trying to get rid of them. It's sad, it's true, but she's trying to get rid of public schools. And the best way to deal with that is to take your kids out of public schools and start to teach them, to teach them yourself if you have the ability to do that. A lot of people do not. Um, one of the reasons why I sent my son to public schools, I wanted, to, I could have taught him myself, but I even told some of the teachers I could have done that, took, you know, could have done that, you know. But I sent him to public schools because I wanted him to be around people, uh, other students, his own age, you know, and that's the only reason. And, uh, you know, I didn't think of anything else. I, I was shocked and amazed when I found out that he wasn't getting homework. He wasn't getting, he wasn't getting homework. He wasn't getting, uh, books like the ones we used to have when we could, when we went to school, you know, elementary school. And he wasn't, he didn't know anything about History, history. He didn't know anything. They weren't teaching black history or slavery in some of these schools. That's out. In some of these schools, that is out, if not in most of them. Because most of the time, the teachers really don't teach what they want to teach. They teach what the state uh, tells them to teach and how to teach. But the state doesn't give them enough money to buy pencils and pens and paper to to actually get out to poor poor students, poor kids of those areas. Yeah, public education, and it's scary. It is scary, and I'm so glad that I don't have any uh, child in public schools anymore. I don't want to deal with them. I think there's some of the worst schools ever. You know, every year there's a problem. Te teachers are striking. They want more money. And... And it, it always amazes me that when a teacher, when thousands of teachers are on strike out on the street blocking traffic and someone sticks a, a microphone in their face and they go say, we really do care about the kids. It's all about the kids. It's not about us. It's not about money. It's about teaching our children and getting our children back in school. It's not. It's about money. It's about their benefits. It's about their pension. It's not about kids. They don't give two craps about the children. If if they did that, they wouldn't be out there striking. <laughs> it's about money. It's about cash. And a lot of these school districts give in to the teachers and pay them what they want, which is good. I do think some teachers, some teachers deserve to be paid uh, the kind of salary that they should be getting paid. Some are, Some do not. All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show. We're going to do a musical break, and we will be right back.
even relevant. If the president is asked to testify, subpoenaed That's to really testify unfair. before What you're doing right now is extremely unfair. Says, I'm giving you a chance to explain it. Not going to do it. With all that, you that promoting of Avenatti, the ambulance. What happens if Robert Mueller does that have to do with this? Because they're all trying to bring Trump into that, and he's not involved in it, Chris. People are fucking nuts. This country is full of nitwits and assholes. You ever notice that? Oh, my goodness. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Right. Yeah. Nitwits, assholes, fuck-ups, scumbags, jerk-offs, and dipshits. And they all... All right, George. <laughs> the fear-mongering. Journalists increasingly are feeling empowered to call out the Trump White House's lies because the evidence is right on tape. It made me wonder at the end of a long week, was, was this a lie too? I will never lie to you. I will never tell you something I do not believe. I will never put anyone's interests ahead of yours. That was from the campaign. But this, now, the Trump presidency, this is what a crisis of leadership looks and feels like. Every week, another scandal. Every week, another cover-up. This week, it involved Rudy Giuliani. You see him there on Hannity. He was talking about Stormy Daniels and the payoff and the questions about when she was really paid off and how, when did Trump know, were laws violated? Oh, and were there other Stormies too? He was on ABC's This Week just a couple hours ago, and he didn't rule it out. This week, I have to admit, I chuckled at some of the banners on screen, some of the, some of the headlines calling this a White House credibility crisis. I mean, that is true. That's objectively true. It is a crisis. But it's been true since day one. Reporters are always trained to cover what's new, what's different, what you got, what's happening. But, but Trump's fibs and falsehoods are the opposite. They're, they're not new. He's been behaving this way his whole life. Heck, Trump entered politics on a lie about President Obama. So what is new? I've been thinking. All right. We have. Let's see if we can do this again. All righty. He's brought us to the brink of nuclear war, right. obstructed justice at the FBI, and in direct violation of the Constitution. He's taken money from foreign governments and threatened to shut down news organizations that report the truth. If that isn't a case for impeaching and removing a dangerous president, and what has our government become? I'm Tom Steyer, and like you, I'm a citizen who knows it's up to us to do something. It's why I'm funding this effort to raise our voices together and demand that elected officials take a stand on impeachment. A Republican Congress once impeached a president for far less. Yet today, people in Congress and his own administration know that this president is a clear and present danger, who's mentally unstable and armed with nuclear weapons and they do nothing. Join us and tell your member of Congress that they have a moral responsibility to stop doing what's political and start doing what's right. Our country depends on it. All right, welcome back to the George Wilder Jr. Show. It is a great day in the city of Chicago. I hope it's a great day where you are, folks, and I'm having a great time. I'm having such a great time. Uh, uh, there's more uh to be said about Donald Trump. I'm looking at him right now on, on uh, Huffington Post and uh, 
They're saying that it wasn't about the anthem. We know it wasn't about the anthem. We know it wasn't about kneeling. We know that the National Football League. Anyway, let's go over here. All right, Brian, you're on the air. Tell us a little, give us a little bit of your bio and uh, all that good stuff. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, My name is Brian Ruff. I'm an author working out of Las Vegas for the last more than three decades. And uh, And I've written a number of. uh, uh, The one I'm looking at here is the, The House Always Wins. Yes. The House Always Wins is a little play on words because we always say, of course, that the casinos in the long run can't lose, and that's a true statement. But mine is a Vegas ghost story, and um, it's based on a on a house that my family and I actually lived in and rehabbed in the early 2000s that I always swore was haunted. And I said, one of these days I'm going to write a book about this house and a young couple that moves in and uh, deals with this ghost that's a uh, a dead Vegas mobster. So that was the oh. the basis of the story, and uh, came out uh, late last year. It's doing really well. And, uh, okay. you know, as a guy who's lived here all these years, I try to fit in a lot of inside stuff. You know, I always say I know where the bodies are buried, but that's just a metaphor. <laughs> it sounds great. It sounds interesting. Make me want to go out and and read it, because I'm always a... Uh, a fan of uh, ghosts and goblins and and uh, uh, the lit, the, the uh, Walking Dead and stuff like that. It sounds really, really good, and it and seems like it's a you have a great premise for the story. I mean, the ghost is is someone that uh, uh, I don't know uh, involved in casino gambling or something. Well, yeah, he had a when when he was living, he was a, a racketeer uh-huh. uh, originally from the Detroit area. And uh, mm-hmm. moved out to Vegas when things got a little too hot, you know. And yeah. that's that's a story of a lot of these mob guys that moved out here. And Vegas is a great mm-hmm. town to reinvent yourself. No matter what your past was, uh, you can come out here and become a, a leader in the community. Uh, the guy that I based it on is somebody named Mo Dalitz. I don't know if you know that name, but uh, I learned a lot about him at the Mob Museum out here. And he was a fellow that that um, was uh, a bootlegger during the Prohibition, came to Vegas in the 50s, opened up a legitimate construction company and built our first hospital and our first indoor mall. And, and the guy really became a, a, a very honored and, and respected member of the Vegas community. And that kind of thing happens all the time out here. We're a very interesting town in a lot of ways. Does he know about your book? Does he know that? Well, he's unfortunately, a... he is no longer with us. His uh, oh, okay. his daughter, I understand, lives in California. I've been trying to get her a copy, so I need to to get a hold of a guy who knows a guy that can get it to to Mo's daughter. I think she'd appreciate it because uh, it's very. Yeah, it's yeah. actually you know just like in The Walking Dead, for example, the zombies are not the real bad guys, right? The bad guys are the are the living uh, who are much worse. And in the book, the ghost actually, without giving away too much, but the ghost actually helps this couple fight a crooked developer, a casino developer, who's trying to take their house and, and, and actually uh, steamroll over the whole block in order to expand his casino. And they love this house. They don't want to give it up. And this guy starts using a lot of dirty tricks. So, uh, But they've got the ghost on their side who has some dirty tricks of his own. And man, this sounds like a great book. It sounds like a, it, uh, totally it's fiction. Uh, uh, yes. It sounds sounds like a great book, and uh, you say it's doing very well. 
it is doing well. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not in the Stephen King category yet. You know, yeah. uh, this Neither is my, my third novel. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Probably uh, we'd be doing something else at, at this point. Right. But uh, yeah. you know, I'm, I, I, my goal is to is to just be known as an authentic Las Vegas writer, somebody who gets this right. Oh, okay. Uh, you okay. know, I always g- got a little bit annoyed with some of the old books and movies. Uh, where it would show things that could not possibly happen here, uh, yeah. you know, and and so I wanted to to make sure that I went way beyond the superficial that everybody thinks they know about Las Vegas in order to go deeper to to tell about the town that I know and love. And sometimes, hey, yeah. you know, uh, at the yeah. moment, my gosh, I mean, even though we're losing, we've got this first year hockey team that this town has fallen in love with. And everybody nationwide is I, who's who's even a little bit of a hockey fan. I think is keeping an eye on the Vegas Golden Knights. It's a remarkable story. I bet Disney buys it up no matter what happens. <laughs> are some of your previous previous books are 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 they along the same lines as your uh, current book? Well, they don't have a ghost, but the first one, Dice okay. Angel, has a kooky ex hippie who claims she can bring people like a dice. So uh, it's got a little bit of paranormal activity, and we don't know till the end if, yeah. if she's yeah. full of it or if she can really do what she claims she can do. And then my sounds second like book, books Money. Are, I'm okay. sorry, go ahead. Sounds like your books. I was going to say, sound like your books are filled up, filled with a lot of humor. I try. I try because mm-hmm. again, Las Vegas is full of humor. All you really have yeah. to do if you're a writer is just hang out someplace in a public area and take notes when you hear things and see things. And then, you know, half that stuff goes into my books, and it sort of writes itself in that respect. Yeah. So I do try to make it funny and authentic. Uh, and there's so many characters out here. And the Dice Angel, for example, is based on a real classified ad that I saw in one of our local papers. This woman claimed mm-hmm. she could bring gamblers look at dice. And it ran every week, and I kept thinking, wow, how, how typical Vegas is that? Apparently, this woman's making money, or else she wouldn't be able to run the ad, right? So right. Uh, that was the that was the impetus for that book, and that that one did the best of all my books. Although this latest one, the house always wins, is off to a good start. Oh, that's great! It sounds it sounds great. It sounds wonderful. Um, Thank you. So, uh, no problem. I'm, uh, what do you like <laughs> about writing in general? Well, I mean, how how does it pull you in? Well, like most writers. Have to write. I recognize that I enjoyed it and liked it from a very early age, and I was encouraged by teachers, my parents, and it's a good thing because it's it's pretty much the only thing that I'm good at. Uh, I was getting D's in math and getting A pluses in writing, <laughs> so you know it wasn't it was a no brainer to kind of figure out which direction I wanted to go in. So mm-hmm. when I finally got to college, I took a lot of journalism, a lot of creative writing classes. And thankfully, I've been able to make a living for more than 30 years doing what I, you know, am good at. Uh, So I'm I'm very fortunate in that respect here to see things out, uh, or else I probably, uh, you know, find homeless. Yes, sir. I'm sorry? I said you're breaking up. Uh Uh-oh. And I'm on my good phone, too. I'm I'm on a landline. Did I just start breaking up? Uh, you're not you... breaking up now. Something something okay, uh, happened. I can hear you clearly now. Great. So so it's just a, a little glitch is what happened. Yeah, I a will... little glitch somewhere in the 
phone lines or something. I, I'm going to try not okay. to move. I'm going to I'm going to stay frozen <laughs> in my current position. Uh, and so I don't know what you heard, but uh, the, what's the last thing you heard, George? I'll, I'll try to recreate. Uh, I heard it just about everything. It just was a little bit breaking up between there. So you really got it, uh, got it right? Yeah, we got it. There's just some some you know some cracking, breaking up. So if you, I guess that's what I'm probably saying, my knee. Back. If you heard cracking, that's probably my knee. <laughs> Mine crack all the time. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It just happens, doesn't it? <laughs> All right, Brian Ruff on the George Wilder Jr. Show. Do you have an excerpt? Can you read us a little bit of the book? Yeah, sure. I I've got a a chapter okay. that I like that, uh, and I won't okay. read you the whole thing because you know, but I'll read you a little bit yeah. of where our bit, hero uh, Anna first becomes aware of the ghost after she's they've mm-hmm. rehabbed this house and they've moved in. So she's she's writing. I awoke in the blackness of night with a song in my head. It happens more than you'd think. Messages bubbling up from deep in the tar pits of our subconscious. Biological emails we block or ignore or tamp down during the day, but that scurry in like termites when the lights go out and our guards come down. In this instance, the lyric came from the Talking Heads classic, Once in a Lifetime. And you may tell yourself, this is not my beautiful house. Just a fragment, but enough to concern me because later in the song, I remember it says, my God, what have I done? This would require some analysis because on the surface, I was happy. I loved the baby that grew day by day inside of me. I loved Aaron, my husband, more than ever. I loved my beautiful house that we were bringing back to life with our own four hands. And I lived the, loved the life we were building. So where the heck did the doubt come from? I stared at the nothingness before me, feeling around the unrumpled sheets on Aaron's side of the bed, a sign he hadn't yet returned from his lounge gig with meltdown at Bally's. Perhaps the answer was as simple as loneliness mixed with a dash of isolation, just the big old house and I still getting to know each other. I chewed on that for a moment as the sounds of the night encroached, a siren, a car horn, a barking dog, a train whistle, plus the usual creaks and moans typical of middle-aged structures and people, a melancholy chorus if ever there was one. I pulled the covers up higher and shuddered. That's probably enough, right? She... she uh, what happens is she smells some cigar smoke, uh, doesn't know where it's coming from, goes to search for the source of it, and that's when she meets uh, Meyer, the ghost mobster, for the first time. And it essentially, he just looks at he looks at her and he just says, "I love what you've done with the place." <laughs> so that's how they <laughs> it meet. It sounds interesting, and it's it's Thank a you, kind sir. of book. It's a kind of it's a kind of reading that makes you laugh. I mean, I mean, it's lighthearted. I think. You know, a ghost story. What it is. I, there's some. It it, it gets mm-hmm. serious towards the end. My favorite yeah. things are always the types of movies and books that take you on a roller coaster, where they're they're serious yeah. and they're scary and they're funny. Um, what yeah, was up the and movie down. that came out last year? Get Out. Did you see that one? No, I didn't see it, but I've heard about it. It was scary, but they would break it up with some humor, and th- that's yeah. the way I try to write because. If it's just scary all the way through, it'll wear you out. You know, you'll be glad when it's over. (laughs) Yeah, you have to uh, make a a change here and there, up and down. I I do the same thing. I don't make Mm -hmm. my book scary all the way, all the way through because you, like you said, you want to break it up a little bit, change it around. You know, give it a different sort of feel, and then bring it back from where you started it from or something to that effect. Exactly right. Yeah, yeah, it needs yeah. its own arc, and, and you got to keep people yeah. guessing. I've got two surprise endings. Yeah. Hopefully they're surprises. You know, nobody's been able to figure them out yeah. ahead of time yet. So. 
All right. Well, what would you say to young people who want to write, want to write the kinds of things you write? How would you uh, keep them interested? Uh, you know, there's a lot of people out here who want to write, but they're they're just mm-hmm. afraid to do it or they don't understand it. How would you encourage people to, to keep writing or to start writing? Well, first off, it's a habit like anything else. It's yeah. like working out. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you allocate X number of you know minutes or hours a day to practice your craft. It could be as few as 15 minutes a day, but it adds up over time. The best courses I ever took were the journalism classes because they not only taught me how to write, get to the point quickly, they taught me how to be observant. And if you're a writer, it's great because no matter where you are, you can be watching people and circumstances and see things that other people don't even notice. And you should always walk around with a notepad or your phone and record or jot down yeah. because yeah. you'll you'll if you think you'll forget it I'll remember it later you won't yeah. and especially if you, you wake won't. up in the middle of the night you won't remember it um, keep won't. a pad or something on your nightstand and as soon as you wake up in the middle of the night cuz your subconscious is always working right jot it down yeah, that's something that I do a lot because I come up with a lot of ideas. I'm laying in the bed. I'm sitting on the couch. I jump up. I go get my little notepad or or, or cards or whatever and jot it down because I know if I don't do that, I'm going to forget it. And it happens to all of us. To the, it does. <laughs> to everybody. You know? And so as soon you as you forget mind. it, in the back of your mind, you're thinking, that's the best idea I ever had. <laughs> right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you got to jot it down. And another thing, one of the things I always tell people when, if they want to write, write, just write. And basically, you have to just, you have to love what you're doing and Mm -hmm. try to make writing fun. Make it exciting. Laugh at what you're writing. I I love to hear you say that. Yeah, because if you make writing fun, Mm -hmm. if you make writing fun and enjoyable, the people who going to read it. They're going to have fun. They're going to enjoy no it. No doubt. You, the, That's right. Yeah. I always say I'm an audience of one. If When I'm writing, if I can make myself yeah. laugh and cry, then I've had a good day and I know that it's possible I'm going to make an emotional connection with my reader. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I always say make it fun, make it enjoyable. Do not make it do not go go to writing and treat it like it's a hard work or drudgery. You're not going to no. get it that way. You have to, you you know you have to make it fun, exciting, and you yourself have to enjoy what you're writing. You have to have fun because I couldn't write if I didn't laugh at some of the stuff that I put down. That's right. <laughs> That's right. That's what keeps you going, right? Yeah. And don't edit yourself in the first draft. You can always mm-hmm. go back. There's always time yeah. for rewriting. And then I also yeah. recommend that every writer work with an editor because you'll miss things. Uh, your eye will go over and, and miss a word or, or it could be the wrong word. Some outside objective expert can catch that and you won't as the writer. So always yeah. ultimately have another set of eyes, a specialist, take a look at it because they'll make it even better. Is everybody, is not everybody, but I'm pretty sure some of the people that you uh, – have known throughout your life, a lot of those folks do appear in some of your books. Uh, you change their names in, in ways. Yes. Everybody is yeah. based loosely on somebody I've met or a composite yeah. of different people. 
for example, in Dice Angel, Jimmy Delaney, who owns a bar and grill, and he's the the protagonist of the of the story, is actually based on a friend of mine who owns a bar and grill out in Henderson, Nevada, and he's a real character. And I always told him, I said, John, I'm going to write a book about you one of these days. And he went, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. New York guy, right? And then uh, one of these days, one one day I walked into his bar and I plunked the book down in front of it and I said, here's your book. And I walked out. And he wound up selling the book. He wound up selling the book at the bar and we sold hundreds of copies. So it was great. I always tell people, if you watch out what you say, watch out what you do, because you could end up in one of my stories, one of my books. and, And in some cases, it may not be that kind. You know, I have always that, said exactly the same thing, George. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> if All the guy right. in the next booth at the restaurant knew I was listening, he wouldn't talk so loud. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if he knew you probably was a writer, he wouldn't talk so loud. Exactly uh, right. Because it it happens. It, it happens as a writer. And, and uh, if I'm going to use real people in the story, I'm going to always change their names. I'm not going to – because a lot of people will – think they can uh, will get upset certain people will and then some people will try to sue you if you use their real name mm-hmm. right so I always try to um, uh, stay in character when I'm uh, writing about someone else but change their names and a lot of times if they should read the book or story they will realize that that that's them <laughs> it's good way. to be careful yeah it's yeah good to be careful. it is all right Brian tell us where we can go find this book well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, if so, if okay. you want to buy it online, Amazon would mm-hmm. be the best place to get it. Uh, it's available in hard copy okay. and Kindle. If you want to go okay. the uh, old school uh, retail route, it's available in Barnes and Noble stores uh, coast to coast. So those would be, probably be wow. your two best bets. And uh, one one last question: How are people reacting to the book? I, I think you so alluded far, to that earlier. Yeah. Really good. It's very gratifying. I've got about 62 uh, reviews, mostly positive, uh, on Amazon, mostly five-star. Okay. My favorite okay. thing is when people take the time to, to, to send me an, e- uh, an email. I always put my email okay. address in the back of the book because I like to hear from readers, uh, positive yeah. and, and negative. Well, you know, positive is better. And, uh, you know, yeah, you can't exactly. – <laughs> not everybody's gonna love is going to love your stuff. You've got to be thick-skinned to a certain extent. And uh, all I know is, you know, I write the story I want to write, and I'm proud of it. And then if it connects with other people, that's that's bonus. That's the way I look at it. Yeah, yeah, I, I see it the same way. I, I mean, I write – not everybody's going to like what you write. Not everybody's going to give you an interview. Uh, there are some people – I mean a review, not an interview. Not everybody right. is going to. Uh, not not everybody is going to. Uh, uh, you know, they're not the same. People are are not. Uh, they're going to give you different kind of reviews for whatever, whatever. And sure. uh, you know, you just have to uh, take it and deal with it. But I, tr- I, I, I'm like you. I want positive reviews, but I will take a negative review. And uh, if I have reviewed several books myself, and before mm-hmm. I give so someone. Before I give someone a negative review, a one to, or two star review, I will contact the author and say, hey, wow, uh, uh, check this out. Go back and check over your book because there's a lot of discrepancies in there, like grammar or misspellings or whatever. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't like giving out uh, negative reviews. I just don't like to do that. I'm the same uh, way. I want to be a positive person. 
And right, right. when you're when you're going behind the scenes and giving an author some advice, uh, you're actually doing them a favor because you're helping them raise the professionalism of their product, which mm-hmm. is extremely important. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, uh, Brian Russell on the George Walter Jr. Show. So we can find your book on Amazon. Did you give us a website or email? You said um, in the back my, of your My book own or website is brianruff.com, and my last okay. name is spelled R-O-U-F-F, two Fs like Frank yeah, Frank. Yeah. And again, the yeah. book is called The House Always Wins. All right. Thanks for being on the show. You've been great. I'm going to try and fun. send you a link. <laughs> I'm going to try and send you the link uh, to this show so you know, so you can have the link and you can do what I'll you want. I'll link it on my do. website. I would be happy to do so. And this was really fun. It was a fast-moving uh, half hour, so I appreciate the opportunity. No problem. Bye-bye. Take care. You too. All right. Brian Ruff on the George Wilder Jr. Show. Fun interview, folks. <laughs> it was a fun interview. We'll be right back. It's very depressing. Yeah, very depressing. So you, know, you can make a comedy about Wilder Jr. Show is now on the air. You Investigate Russia, uh, representing Hollywood on that committee. Your thoughts at the end of one year and where we are as we've watched this week, Rudy Giuliani and others say not only that the investigation is illegitimate, but that when its findings are presented, he will in fact, and the White House will in fact, tear it to shreds. Well, I mean, we're, you know, this is breakneck speed for uh, an investigation of this magnitude. We've never seen anything like this. We have a foreign power uh, basically trying to undermine our democracy and the possibility that uh, uh, the president of the United States is in uh, a conspiracy with that foreign power. This has never happened before in this country. And you can see why the other side is, is, is putting out a full court press, because... 
they know that what's coming down the pike conceivably is the biggest scandal in American history. And we are fighting right now for the soul of our democracy. And I, I want to say one thing about what's happening uh, in terms of the media. We can get into shock and awe, which is all about the, you know, uh, the free press and the attack on the free press and how difficult it is to get the truth out. If you guys look at your specific uh, ads that you have for your network, there are two ads that you run which basically focus on the importance of a free and independent media and a free press. We're on, you're under attack, the press is under attack, and right now, if you remove the ability to get the truth out, then you're going to have uh, the destruction of democracy. We don't have any more... Uh, there's no checks and balances from coming from the Congress. Right now, the courts are holding. But this is the first time in American history where you have a state-run television, Fox, uh, Breitbart, uh, Sinclair, and Alex Jones, aligned with the President of the United States. That's very, very tough. The battle lines have been drawn, and we're going to see whether or not democracy survives. Rob, you know more than just about anyone about storytelling, and I wonder if you can sort of, I, I know you know a lot of the granular details of the story about Russia's role in meddling in 2016, but I wonder just as storytellers, if the coalition you just listed, the President of the United States, his lemmings in, in the House, uh, Republican uh, Freedom Caucus, who are doing his bidding, basically waging a war against the Trump appointee-led Justice Department FBI, the network you just listed, are they doing a better job telling what is a false story than the truth-tellers are doing? No. The truth-tellers are telling the better story. The problem is that when you've got 40% of the country that is only tuned in to the lies, and they are cemented, it's, very, it's going to be very hard for the truth to break through when uh, all of the information comes out. You have to understand, this is a counterintelligence uh, investigation. These things normally take years and years to unfold. We're seeing uh, Bob Mueller uh, uh, work at breakneck speed. I mean, he's gotten, like you say, all these indictments and guilty pleas, and this is all within a period of a year. When you compare it to uh, Benghazi, four years, the Clinton he's, investigation that eventually wound up with, uh, with an impeachment was six years. So uh, this is one year, and you just laid it out, Nicole, with uh, the, the volume of what's mm -hmm. happened in a year. It's astounding. I do believe, and I, you know, go with your earlier guest, John Meacham, I have hope that democracy will survive. We've been tested before, but make no mistake about it, we are being tested right now as to whether or not 241 years of self-rule will emerge. So Rob mentioned his new movie, Shock and Awe. It all ties in here. It chronicles the true story of journalists who were credited with getting it right in the lead-up to the Iraq War, with reporting that questioned the nature of the Bush White House's justification for that war. Morning Joe now has the exclusive... Quick Monday Night Football after all the other games have been played, for those of you who don't live in America, but live in a box instead. Anyway, it was the Cowboys versus the Cardinals, uh, and Donald Trump was going to get in on the action and triple down. 
Wall Street Journal's editorial board writes today, quote, every sentient voter in 2016 understood that Donald Trump had a bad history with women, but mistakes of character tend to catch up with everyone, and that's what is now happening with President Trump and his many women. Mr. Trump can't retain the best legal counsel because no one wants a client who ignores all advice. He wants to answer questions from Mr. Mueller, but probably won't prepare enough to avoid even accidental self-incrimination. The Stormy Daniels case is typical of Mr. Trump's pre-presidential behavior in thinking he can, with enough threats and dissembling, get away with anything. He's never understood that a president can't behave that way, and this may be the cause of his downfall. Susan, um, this is just among the first cracks in uh, terms of support, editorial support for the right. president from the journal. Yeah, and that's exactly, but the journal's exactly right. When you talk about the faults of his character coming back to haunt him, that not only plays to the president, but it also replays to a lot of Republicans in the House and the Senate right now who should be saying, I will stand up for what's right. I will speak against the president and what he's doing, as whether it's his policies or even some of the things, the attacks he makes on women and other people. But the Stormy Daniels thing is just something that hits so hits him so differently. Yeah. And I'm not, you know, we know he hasn't tweeted about it. He hasn't gone anywhere. But I think it's just a matter of time, and that's what I think a lot of people are waiting for. You know, Eddie, there's a piece in the New York Times today by Jonathan Martin about. Uh, various Republicans running around the country right. and they cannot they can't stand up and talk about real issues that affect people because the first question out of the box is the president's behavior. Right. I mean, it seems to me that this uh, tef Teflon Don is no longer Teflon Don when it comes to, to, to the Stormy Daniels question. I think there are three C's here. Uh, there's the case, there's the client, and there's the climate. I don't think any lawyer in their right mind wants to take on the case. I don't any, think any lawyer who, who's worth his or her salt uh, wants to deal with a client that will not pay attention, that will not lie, that will not follow advice. That will and then not the, pay. That will not pay. <laughs> and then there's the climate. The climate is not only the Me Too movement. The Me Too movement has changed the way in which uh, people understand and, and accept uh, certain kinds of behavior, where the, how they judge that behavior. There's the climate in terms of uh, the, the serious, uh, I think, uh, response to Russian interference in our elections. There's uh, kind of economic uncertainty. There's the chaos that's coming out of the White House. So all of this that, that, that I think informs how people are judging and assessing what's going on, I think is also shaping and informing how lawyers are, are assessing whether or not they will take on this case. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and speaking of the Republicans and that Jonathan Martin article and Stormy Daniels, let's go to the latest in the Stormy Daniels story. Uh, the porn star is now suing Donald Trump's personal lawyer, Michael Cohen, for defamation, claiming that he betrayed her as a liar when denying claims of her affair with Donald Trump. The new filing also argues that the $130,000 hush money agreement signed just 11 days before the election should be nullified because it violated campaign finance law. Meanwhile, the White House is trying to explain why the president has not responded to the porn star directly. Yesterday, the in the morning after her 60 Minutes interview aired, the president tweeted, quote, so much fake news, never been more voluminous or inaccurate. But through it all, our country is doing great. A senior administration official tells NBC News that the president has discussed his response with several aides and has been told that the Stormy Daniels issue doesn't rise to the level of a presidential response. 
The senior official also counseled Trump, telling him that it doesn't endanger his presidency or agenda. Here's the White House yesterday. Can you state categorically that the president, his campaign, and the Trump organization did not violate federal law, specifically election law, uh, regarding that payment? Well, uh, I can speak for only the White House, uh, and I can say categorically that obviously White House didn't engage in uh, any any wrongdoing. Uh, the campaign or uh, Mr. Cohen, yeah, the campaign or Mr. Cohen can address uh, anything with respect to their uh, actions. With respect to uh, that interview, I will say the president strongly, clearly, and uh, has consistently denied. Tom Arnold, folks. Roseanne Barr's ex-husband, Tom Arnold. Tom, thanks for being with yeah. us. Sorry it's under these yeah. circumstances. I'm wondering, first, when, when you saw Roseanne's tweets yesterday, I'm just wondering what went through your mind. Were you surprised? Why well, I, was, I, was, I was not surprised uh, that uh, one went down and, the, and that the show was canceled. I, I had a feeling this was going to happen to when I first heard it was coming back, that there was a reboot. and uh, You thought this might, actually, might happen. What, I had a feeling, well, yeah. too, that it was going to be canceled um, for some reason. I, I just know, uh, I, I, when I heard about her politics, I knew she was a, a, when I read her social media in the very beginning and I saw how she was so into the conspiracy stuff with Donald Trump and so how far gone she was and the, the Pizzagate and the, uh, Hillary's a pedophile and Obama wasn't born here. And she was, you know, a, a birther and how crazy that was. I just knew that this would not end well. Did, did so? You were surpri- were you surprised then um, that ABC chose to bring it back? Because obviously they saw those tweets as well. Right. I was surprised that they didn't do anything about it. In fact, I, I tweeted a lot because uh, you know I figured someone would take her phone away or 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 monitor that because that's a it's dangerous. You know, when you have that much money on a show, it's a you know they, we had the first amendment, we also had the second amendment, but you don't just give someone a handgun to walk around the. The stage there, you got to. Well, hopefully you don't. You got to be careful. That's they risked a lot. And yeah. I, I, I tweeted a lot to watch out because I can see it coming. Because she, you know, has a lot of. By the way, this this monkey thing is something she's tweeted before about black people. Why is it okay? It's a meme that, that she and thousands of her alt right uh, fans do. They love calling black people monkeys. It's not a one time joke. Okay. Yeah, she said something about Susan Rice a couple of years ago referencing. Well, no, but there's more. Look at her tweet. We they do it because we have a white trash racist president. That's a fact. That is Donald Trump is, and Roseanne and I both noted thirty years. That's an absolute fact. And instead of saying Donald Trump going, okay, everybody, hold on together, he says, oh my gosh, what about me? That's insane that he's like, well, what about people making fun of me? How about stopping it? When you were married to, to Roseanne, I mean, you also worked with her on the original Roseanne show. Yeah. Did she display any signs of you know, racism or xenophobia or conspiracy theory kind of beliefs? When I, when I met Roseanne, I, I, I just worked at a meatpacking plant for three years in Iowa. And she was a little older and, uh, and, and she was a feminist. I never met a feminist even. She was so much more evolved than I was. I mean, I was a, a meat packer and a, and a bouncer and a young comic. And I learned so much from her about, you know, about not just being a liberal, but about that kind of, of thinking. You know, I never, I grew up in southeast Iowa, so I'd never been around different kinds of people. So what so, do you think I mean, it I, is that, that changed her? I mean, because clearly you, what you're saying is the person you knew uh, when you first met her and when you were married 
Uh, obviously, you know, she's talked about uh, mental health issues before. Well, mental, you know, but, yeah. but, but uh, these conspiracy theories and obviously these, these racist uh, statements. Mm -hmm. What well, do you I think mean, here's it the, is? Here's the, I, uh, you know, I, I have uh, mental health issues myself. Roseanne obviously mm -hmm. does. It's something that, you know, right before we got married, I went to rehab. Uh, you know, I'm, a, I'm an alcohol and uh, uh, drug uh, uh, in recovery for both of those. She was there for me. And then after uh, we got married, you know, we dealt with her mental health issues as a family. And she, she's done amazing with that. And, you know, it's, it's something that she's dealt with. And I can see that. And the thing about, I have to say this about, about the president we have and his gaslighting and lying. You can see him perpetuating mental health issues for the entire country. Every day he gets on TV and lies. And he, and he perpetuates fear and anxiety. He never says things are great. He says, oh, my gosh, look how dangerous it is in the inner city and black people. And I really genuinely believe he thinks black people are dangerous and so, Mexicans are rapists. He believes that. He's, and so he's perpetuating that fear to America. Watch out. Uh, Mueller's lying. He's after me. And so Americans are sitting home like Roseanne and her fans are like, oh, my God, what is happening out there? And they get anxiety. And they have anyone with mental health uh, issues like Roseanne. It's going gonna, it's gonna to heighten things, and, and she's having mental health, health issues right now, and I'm sure that's part of this. It doesn't make it okay. Yeah, yeah. They had to cancel the show. You told, you told The Hollywood Reporter today that, that Roseanne, in your view, may have wanted the show to be canceled. A hundred percent. Why do you think that is? I mean, it, is, I think you were intimating the, in the interview that, you know, she does something, it's successful, and, and she's not happy with it, or she feels she's being mistreated or something. Is that... Why well, do you I think she like, wanted it canceled? Well, I feel from day one, you know, she didn't get created by credit on her own show. So, so what I... From, which is... Uh, what was not her fault. Obviously, she deserved it. So from day one on the Roseanne show, you know, she felt like, okay, I'm not getting... You know, so there's always been that. So I feel like, you know, that she... Probably, you know, I, as I'm watching this happen, by the way, I keep, as she keeps sabotaging things. When the Parkland kids, she called one of them the Nazi, and then they had to take it down. So she throws Nazi around a lot. So I'm talking to uh, my former stepkids, who I love, and, you know, they're suffering through this. So I look at it like, as this is going on, like, also, I, I, once you have stepkids, you always see them as kids, even though they're 40, and you know they're suffering. So yeah. you see this thing happening pub publicly. So I, I'm like, I tell them, listen, I, first of all, I would love it if she came out and said, okay, I'm sorry, I've gotten too into this thing. Maybe I need to step back. And maybe her fans would see this. I wanted one Donald Trump supporter, one person that's all in on all this conspiracy, Hillary's a pedophile, Obama's whatever, to say, wait a minute, maybe that's not true. Maybe everything Trump says is not true. You know, well, just you know, for the whole country to say. But anyway, so as this weekend approached, I can see it coming. I can see things going. And I tweeted at Wanda Sykes because Wanda Sykes is like, impeach Trump. And I said, hey, it's too bad you aren't on a TV show. She's the head writer of Roseanne. It's too bad you aren't on a TV show and you can do something about it. It's none of my business, but I stuck it in there. And then, and then Roseanne put a picture of Hillary Clinton as, and next to a donkey with buck teeth. But I, for some reason, she did that. And I said to Roseanne's daughter, your mom needs to have apologized to Hillary Clinton. Well, I know you, to, you were trying to, you were hoping that somebody in her life would, would basically kind of intervene, take, uh, like kind of get, get, take her off Twitter. I, I got to get, get a quick break. All right, thanks, Dallas.
All right. Donald Trump's fight with the NFL players has never been about the national anthem. We know that. We know that. It has never been about kneeling. It has never been about the flag because Donald Trump disrespects the flag every day, especially every day since he's been president. And he's going to make this about the anthem, the flag. Give me a break. We all know this is not about the anthem or the flag. It's about race. It's about those black players out there not doing what he wants them to do. It's about those. It's about him being pissed off uh, for being turned down ownership uh, of an NFL team back in the seventies or early eighties or whatever it was, and he's pissed off. The president isn't mad about a song or a flag. He's angry that black players refuse to show the show uh, uh, to do what he wants them to do. He's angry at black at black players. It's totally, totally racism. It's race with this man. This man hates anybody who doesn't look like him. It's racism. I mean, if it's if it's against Mexicans, if it's against Puerto Rico, Puerto Ricans, if it's against uh, Chinese, if it's just race. This man doesn't. He's he's a sick fuck. It's about race. It's racism. And a lot of uh, the players are angry and upset that Donald Trump is meddling into the NFL because of them. They're black. And he's a racist. He's a racist pig. And there is no doubt about it. Yeah, and I'm African-American. Of course, I'm offended. I'm sorry. But of course, I am offended. Because if he hates them, he hates me. Because if he hates them, he hates you if you're black, if you're an immigrant, a Mexican, Puerto Rican, whatever, you know. Uh, Shithole countries, he said it. He definitely said call African countries shithole countries. And then he tried to lie like a dog to get out of it. When he know he said it, there was so many people sitting around uh, the Oval Office who heard him say that. And he lied like a dog that as if he didn't say it and other people came out and lied for him or protected him. It's all race. This is a racist president. And the Republicans in Congress know it. And every American with any soul knows that Donald Trump is a straight up racist. And he doesn't give a damn if we know. He can't be anything else. His father, I'm hearing his father was a racist. I think I've heard something to the effect that his father was a Ku Klux Klanman or something to that effect. Donald Trump has been a racist all his life, and he's not going to stop being a racist. Remember, three million Americans did not vote for him in the 2016 election. Donald Trump won that office uh, through gerrymandering, the Electoral College, James Comey. Someone reminded me of that. And the Russians. The Russians probably should have been at the top of that uh, list, at that litany there. They should have been at the top. But this NFL 2018 
it's going to be something to uh to to see when the start of the NFL season begin. I'm hearing a lot of people going to boycott the game. They're not going to go. They're not going to watch. I'm going to be one of them. I'm not going to watch. The reason why I'm not going to watch the games is because Donald Trump has meddled in it. It's all about race to him. Everything this man touches F's up. It just fucks up. Everything he touches, everything he, every person that he touches, they, he lies, they lie. A mob boss in the White House. Yeah, he's guilty of every crime they say he's guilty of. But I'm pretty sure Mueller's trying to cross the T's and dot all the I's before he hands out an indictment. I'm, I'm, I'm one of those people who are tired of seeing other people around Trump being indicted or subpoenaed or sentenced to prison time when Donald Trump himself should be indicted or maybe subpoenaed or questioned and sent to jail. As I've said before on this show, I don't think Donald Trump should be impeached. I should think he should go straight to jail, prison. That's what so many people want. And I've said this several times. The only people who are saving Donald Trump's ass right now, right now, is his Republican colleagues in Congress. Because they're doing nothing but letting this man destroy this country. And most of them know they're going to be out of a job uh, come November 6, 2018. But they still... These people still uh, uh, kiss Trump's ass. They don't give a damn about being thrown out of office. They don't give a damn about the Republicans may not ever get elected to another office ever again in life, especially in Congress. They don't give a fuck. They don't care. They don't care what you think. They don't care what I think. They don't care what we say. They don't care about America. Because if, if they did care about America, we would not be uh, uh, dealing with this Trump mess. The Republican Party is no longer the party of conservatives. The Republican Party is the party of Donald Trump because they're sitting back letting this guy destroy our democracy. This is what they're doing. There's no other way to say it. They're sitting back and let Donald Trump ruin this country. Maybe because Donald Trump is putting money in their pockets, taxpayer money. A lot of these folks aren't going to run again. A lot of these people are quitting. They're quitting. You know why they're quitting? They're denying the American people of the choice of voting them out. I'm not going to run again. I'm not going to be voted out. I'm not going to be squished. I'm, not, I'm just not going to run again. But these people are quitting. The Republicans in Congress and all around America, they're quitting, but they're not, but they're not going away broke. They're not going away uh, uh, without any money. Donald Trump gave them a tax cut. They will be walking away with a uh, pension, a taxpayer pension, taxpayer tax cut. Just think of it this way. If you were, uh, if they were uh, in debt, they would not be quitting. If they had a house note, car note, they would not be 
quitting. If they're in college and, and, and had to pay for tuition, they would not be quitting. They're quitting because they know they can. They're quitting because they know they're fuck-ups. They're quitting because they're, they are financially uh, astute. They don't need money. They're quitting because they know they know that they're losers. They're quitting because they know that they cannot govern. Republicans cannot lead. They will not lead. It's not about leading. The Republicans are all about lining their fucking pocket tax money. Then you got Republicans in Congress who refuse to protect America against Donald Trump. They refuse to protect democracy against Donald Trump because Donald Trump is lining their pockets. That's why. They, they refuse to check and balance the Oval Office, the executive office, giving Donald Trump carte blanche to destroy America. And guess what? We're still paying these folks in Congress, but we're paying them to do nothing. We're, t- we're paying them to sit on their asses And they're totally watching Donald Trump take America down, and they don't give a damn. They do not care. Mitch McConnell, Paul Ryan, they do do not care. They don't like some of the things Donald Trump is doing. They even complain about Donald Trump, but they will not do anything about him. They, They don't like what he's doing. They admitted. I've seen them on television saying it. They don't like what he's doing. They 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 don't agree with some of the things he's doing. They can't uh, uh, go along with some of the things he's trying to do to America. But they will do nothing about him. They will let him destroy this country, and try to blame it on the Democrats, blame it on Obama, blame it on Hillary, blame it on the man in the moon. They're gonna try. Uh, to blame uh, the destruction of this country on everybody, anybody but themselves. They're going to blame it on black people. They're going to blame it on immigrants. They're going to blame... And bringing up immigrants, Donald Trump separated... You've probably heard this. Donald Trump separated thousands and thousands and thousands of kids at the border, immigrants, from their parents. He separated them. He took kids from their mother. That shows you right now, that shows you that Donald Trump does not give a damn about children. He doesn't give a damn about being a role model for the American children that are growing up looking at this from afar. Kids, if you're out there, if, you, if you're witnessing the destruction of America from this idiot president, uh, take note. This is something that you, you don't want to grow up to do. Because that's uh, uh, what's happening right now. All right. I want to thank Brian Russ for being on the George Wilder Jr. Show. The house always wins. I'm thinking it's, it, it sounds hilarious, actually. It sounds hilarious. And then we're going to be talking a little bit more about uh, Donald Trump's fight with the NFL players. There's an article. Uh, President Donald Trump wants the world to believe that his decision to cancel a White House visit. Yeah, he canceled a White House visit with the Super Bowl winning Philadelphia Eagles. He canceled it because he didn't want black people in the White House. Totally. He didn't want black people in the White House. 
he canceled it. Another reason why he canceled it is because he cannot be in control. I'm hearing he canceled it because a few of them didn't want to show up, so he canceled the whole thing. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. And my thing is that come fall, come uh, this fall NFL season, there's going to be a lot of empty seats in those stadiums. Black people are not going to show up. They, most of the time, they don't show up anyway in some of those games. It's always filled with uh, other people. But anyway, this is awful. Donald Trump wants to be king. He wants you to do what he's – and he's an asshole. He, he is an asshat. He's a racist. I don't read Donald Trump's tweets. I, I stop reading them. I stop listening to people who read them because they're filled with nothing but lies. I will not read lies on this show. On this show. And as I've said before, Donald Trump uh, is just a racist. And one guy called him, Tom Arnold, called him white trash in the White House. None of that bothers, bothers Donald Trump. None of that bothers him. None of that phases him. What you and I think about Donald Trump, what we say, doesn't bother him. He's a narcissist. He doesn't feel, he doesn't have feelings. He doesn't uh, know. And some people are calling him the devil, Satan in the White House, evil man. (laughs) They've got all kind of names for him. And just five months from now, at least from the broadcast of this show, will be uh, November. And I'm pretty sure Donald Trump is out there trying to uh, uh, persuade people not to vote for Democrats. They're sure no Trump. We don't know if Donald Trump is going to make it to the midterms or not. We don't know if he's going to make it to actually running for a second term. Uh, there's going to be so many people running against him because... The reason why I say that, there's going to be a lot of people running against him if he, if he decides to run again in 2020, which he has done. He's going to have so many Republicans running against him uh, in those primaries. He's going to have so many Republicans running against him because they feel the uh, pulse of the country. And the pulse of the country is not with Donald Trump. So it's going to be a lot of Republicans running for uh, the president of the United States, along with Donald Trump. And I don't, he might as well not run. If he makes it to 2020, that's if he makes it, if he's not subpoenaed or indicted by then. Because if he's subpoenaed or indicted, I think Congress will have no recourse but to impeach him or watch him go to jail. I do think of Robert Mueller, the special counsel. I do think he has a lot up his sleeve with Donald Trump. I, I really do. I think he's going to come out and surprise us. Uh, I'm, uh, unlike so many other Americans, I'm tired of seeing other people around Donald Trump, affiliated with Donald Trump, get indicted, subpoenaed, go to jail when we need uh, this to happen with this racist, mean, nasty, vile President Donald Trump. That's one of the things I try not to say is president because Donald Trump is not our president. He's a fake president. He likes to use the word fake so much. 
he's a fake president because the people of this country did not vote for him. The Electoral College gave us, gave us Donald Trump. The Russians gave us Donald Trump. Lying, a con man, a thug, a criminal, a mob boss, a gangster. This is what we have in the White House. We didn't vote for that. All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show. We're just about off the air here, folks. Um, once again, I want to thank my guest, my great guest, author Brian Ruff, three books. Check out check out his um, The House Always Wins. Check that out. Um, and also, uh, don't forget, I'm a writer, too. I'm an author, too. And uh, check out my uh, stuff on Amazon.com. There's a link down here. Uh, you can always click on it. There's two, actually. Uh, and always vote blue. Always vote blue. All right, we're just about off the air. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to the George Wilder Jr. Show. Uh, I've had a lot of fun. <laughs> Despite the uh, negativity on Donald Trump and where he's taking America, I've had a great time uh, on the show today. And I want people out there who's listening to the show to have a wonderful time. Don't feel down and depressed because of Donald Trump. He's just a man. He's just an awesome a man who wants to be um, Hitler. Remember, uh, Hitler killed himself. I mean, yeah, he took some sort of drug or something and he poisoned and killed himself. We can only hope Donald Trump would do the same thing. <laughs> we could only hope, but this man seemed to just screwed out from everything that's thrown at him because he's protected. He's protected by, uh, okay, uh, um, this rogue Republican Congress. We're going to wipe them out uh, with a blue wave. And I just, I just really think that's going to happen. I really think that's going to happen. It has to happen because, uh, one of the things, once Donald Trump is out of office, we can reverse everything. We can reverse some of the damage or maybe all the damage that he's done. But there is no doubt about it. Donald Trump um, will be talked about for centuries. I mean, yeah, uh, decades, if not centuries, what I'm trying to say. I mean, he is an everyday of life on earth in America, there will be something mentioned about Donald Trump even after he's long gone out of the White House. And that will happen. That will truly happen. But right now, don't feel depressed. Don't feel down. Don't feel out of it. Stay up. Stay positive. Vote blue. Uh, keep yourself healthy so you can go get to that poll, uh, that voting booth on in November and keep yourself, you know, we're going to survive this, folks. We are going to survive Donald Trump. Believe me, we are going to survive it. Begin to fall. Yeah. Yeah. 
Heaven help the black man if he struggles one more day. Heaven help the white man if he turns back away. Heaven help the man who kicks the man who has a cross. Thank everybody for tuning in to the George Wilder Jr. Show. Again, I want to thank my guest, Brian Ruff, for being a great guest. I want everybody to enjoy the evening, enjoy your day, enjoy the sunshine, enjoy enjoy it all. Stay positive, stay up, vote blue, uh, and be good. Cheers. Hate lies have no home. Here, hopefully, it's not in your home either. And uh, this is the George Wilder Jr. Show signing off. Make sure you check me out tomorrow. Folks, it'll be live. And then check out the podcast on this uh, Block Talk Radio website. Lots of uh, podcasts. Check me out. I'm in TuneIn. I'm in iTunes. I'm all over the place with this show. Uh, It's pretty, pretty uh, impressive. So I want to thank everybody. Make sure you tune in tomorrow starting at 6 p.m. All the way to 7.30, maybe 8 o'clock. (laughs) stretch it out a little longer anyway uh, thanks for joining me thanks for being a part of the show thanks for everything and join me tomorrow we'll be right back here tomorrow at the same time four days a week monday through thursday 6 to 7 30 p.m in the city of chicago block talk radio bye-bye everybody